we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. Or perhaps it's all just a bad dream for Shay, where she's, it's like a Christmas lunch where she's stuck between two crazy uncles and she has to sort out their issues. Good <laughs> luck, Shay. That could be what's happening. <laughs> I, of course, am Trevor. With me, as always, is, is Paul the 12th man. Greetings, earthlings. And also, as always, Shay, who has yet to have a, a sort of a, a nickname. We'll come up with one at some point. Yes. So, Shay, welcome back. Thank you. And Joe, the tech guy, is working busily because the camera's froze and we had other issues, but he's got it sorted, I think. Evening all. Yeah, we should be. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, welcome out there. Say hello if you're in the chat room. Hello, Daniel. He's already there. Good on you, Daniel. Right. Good range of topics. Um, well, you came just in the nick of time, Shay, with some mm. of the topics that have been hot on um, the presses over the last few weeks. So... Mm. You have arrived not a moment too soon. <laughs> Just um, come to make your look, guys look good and inclusive. <laughs> that's, that's right, yeah. indeed. You probably have a take on yeah. uh, Megan and uh, Harry, don't you? Yes. Um, so, so, so do you, do you want to? Uh, yeah. We'll get to that one. Yeah. yeah. We'll just go through our list. Of, I'm just uh, being provocative. Yeah, Don't but worry. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that one. So, look, one of the ones that came up, one of the issues, uh, one of the discussion points is about um, rape occurring in our private schools uh, or amongst our private school children at least. And a report from the Courier-Mail I'll quote from here, Queensland's most prestigious boys' schools have been rocked by graphic allegations of rape and sexual assault committed by current and former students with private school girls publishing shocking claims online. Petition creator, Sydney student Chanel Contos, called for victims to share stories of sexual assaults perpetrated by all boys' school students in an effort to highlight rape culture, which has resulted in more than 4,000 responses from across the country. And she said, while the majority of responses to her petition referenced private boys' schools, she believed similar stories were happening in every school in Australia uh, quoting her, but the issue is heightened in same-sex schools because it's not an adequate representation of reality, she said. You only see the opposite sex on the weekend when the main goal is having a story to tell on Monday. And the last time I looked, uh, there was a petition, and they're calling for um, calling for sexual consent to be at the forefront of educational issues in your school from a young age. And nearly 30,000 people have signed. And there were over 2,500 testimonies where young women have gone on and, and provided pretty graphic t stories of how they've um, either been raped or sexually assaulted or, or in situations they didn't want to be. So uh, thoughts, panel. Um, Shay, did you have any thoughts on this one? Do you have, in your experience, do you think there's anything particular about private school versus government schools on this issue? Is it? Well, any, I have no experience here? at, at mm. a government school, but right. I um, mm. did my first two years of high school at an all-girls school, and then mm. when I moved to Brisbane, I did uh, the rest of my education co-ed. Mm. I think that did make a difference. Um, 
certainly easier to um, build kind of quality friendships with young men mm-hmm. at a co-ed school. Yep. Um, Are you prepared to say what school it was? Is it a secret? You didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, what? it was um, Mount Maria. Right. So it wasn't, it's not one of the private schools. It's, right. That's even right. the private schools used to call us so statey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so Mount Maria is near Brookside, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So I mentioned these, uh, Ms. Contos's, um campaign last week and mm. I was really sad and distressed to see um, that figure. Yeah. Mm. And, um, yeah. Anecdotally, my wife, when she went to university, thought there was a difference between guys who had been through the private school system and those who'd been through a co-ed, well, a single sex school as opposed to a mixed. Um, and even I still hear stories like that. One of my friends, Peter, his, uh, his kids are going to uni and see a difference between the two in terms of their behaviour. Like some of these kids rock up at university first year having never really had much contact with the opposite sex and both boys and girls having no idea of how to deal with each other. And I had the misfortune of going to an all-boys school, and I'll be the first to admit I had no idea of mm. of how to interact with women for a long time. Like, I really feel it uh, stunted my development in that regard, for sure. So I was really happy when my kids went to uh, just a state school, and mm. I was really jealous. Like, I saw the relationships that my kids had with other kids of the opposite sex in school that were just purely friendships, obviously, and just uh, thought, wow, I'm jealous. I wish I'd had that experience myself. So, Paul, any thoughts on whether private schools have a particular problem and do you support uh, more instruction at schools, a sort of more um, sort of this sort of consent education? I only went to state schools but in my i went to two high schools the first four years was a single sex state high school and then like you i you know at at that age you you know you're developing you know sexually you're going through puberty and you know you become interested in the opposite or the same sex in my case it was the opposite sex and Mm -hmm. like you i felt quite awkward and ill-equipped to negotiate relationships with girls, whether sexual or non-sexual, you know, mm. just because there weren't very many opportunities. So after I'd finished the junior years of high school, I um, I transferred to a co-educational local state high school and was really glad I did um, mm. for those reasons. Mm. But I haven't had a lot to do. I mean, I have no experience as a student in a private school, so I can't really comment. So, so when you went to uni, though? You oh, did... I went to uni in my 30s. Right, yeah, so, I, so you I, don't really see it so much. I didn't much. do that transition from university mm. to uh, from high school to university. Mm. But look, one thing that concerns me, and it, look, it, it, it comes from a few years ago when there was a survey conducted Australia-wide into sexual assault on universities and this idea came out that there's a rape epidemic in our universities which i found incredible quite Mm -hmm. frankly um Mm -hmm. i think our universities are probably one of the safest places you could possibly be in australia um and to claim as some uh, researchers did 
that there was a rape epidemic on our university. I just found it completely incredible. So I'm a little bit concerned, and you're aware of this, Trevor, because we've discussed this before, the definition of sexual assault or sexual, you know, uh, molestation, I don't know how you want to put it. It seems to me that um, this kind of, you know, call for young girls to come forward, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen, but I'm a little bit concerned about how they frame the definitions of sexual assault. And I'm also concerned about the age because, you know, some young people, girls and boys, will say things to get attention. So I think the numbers are a little bit unreliable. Okay. But if you – so if you're ticking a box, you know, was I assaulted, could include all sorts of behaviour from a, a leer to, you know, full-on rape, for example. Yes. But – this is why I find the testimonies that are on this website to be... Ugh. And I so, haven't I was, read them, I, I, admit, I, I, I don't want to use them. the word valuable, instructive, or mm. just have a ring of tr- truth, and they get past that problem. So these are people telling a story, and you can say, well, that's nothing, or, yeah. okay, that is something. Yeah. And the smattering that I've sort of read or I've heard, seen excerpts from are really obvious cases of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and you go yep that is a sexual assault without a doubt that is not good and and so two and a half thousand testimonies i'd be prepared to say that the vast vast majority of them listing pretty severe instances Mm. um i just think it's a wake-up call like you're particularly gosh if you're i don't know the ones that just seem to be girls who are at parties who ended up being not looked after by their friends. Mm. Um, Drink too much. Yep. Yep. And, of course, other illicit substances yep. are often involved. People not looking out for each other and yeah. um, and finding themselves in situations. Mm. And I think it would be a real wake-up call for a lot of parents to yeah. read some of that when their but, kids are ready for that stage. But, look, mm. adolescence is messy. And, you know, learning to become a, a, a sexually, you know, developed mm. and fulfilled human being Mm. is messy Mm. so i think we have to be a little bit cautious about condemning all adolescent sexual behavior but we're not condemning it well my my point Mm. is that you know um what became a sexual assault may not have had you know any ill intention behind it at the beginning if you know what i mean teenagers can be a little bit clumsy that this seems to be awkward you know, I would surmise that a fair number of these testimonies involve drunk girls and or drugged or whatever mm. and guys who have either plied them with alcohol or have taken advantage of how they've found them. Mm. And I certainly think for schoolboys in an all-male school, let's say, for example... Mm. It's not a bad idea that they get some education about, hey, when a girl is had some alcohol, she's not in any state to consent to anything. I agree. And, and I, I think agree. it's a good idea mm. to put that in the Yeah. Look, I'm actually in favour of some kind of guidance and education for all adolescents, I think, you know. Um, gee, more information and more preparation is better than... Not enough information. Mm. Are you going to sign the petition? 
possibly. I'd right. have to read it first. Right. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a, it's quick. It seems to be as a, uh, as a collective, we call for sexual consent to be at the forefront of educational issues in your school from a young age. I, I the only thing feeling. that I would just also mm. add, sorry, Joe, is mm. just that, um, like the implication that it is just a misunderstanding. I hope that is mm. the case. That it mm. is just young adolescent behaviour. Um, but certainly, in my experience, it's there's a big difference between a misunderstanding and actually men that mean harm for you. Mm. Yeah, mm. or mean to have their way with you. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's quite clear to me that there's a difference. Because do you suspect that adolescent boys don't fully appreciate the impact that them having sex with a girl who doesn't really want to but goes, mm. along, or, but goes along with it? Mm. I think boys are just not really aware of the impact it could have on a girl, you know? Yeah. So, I think there's a real possibility about that. I suppose that. Could be that's part of so-called relationships education, all those sorts of negotiations and considering the effect or the feelings of Mm. the other person. Mm. Yeah, and it could be a double-edged sword. Like if we end the shame for young women to be, um, you know, sexually expressive, Mm. then they don't, you know. But again, I'm not discussing sexual assault. Mm. Yeah, discussing the messiness of adolescent relations. Mm. Yeah. Which I think there is a clear um, difference. There's, I think there's a, a big hole in sex ed altogether. Mm. Um, some of the um, syllabuses that I've seen have been very much starting from a very young age, <coughs> talking about body parts, talking about pleasure, which, yeah, it, it's all about risk avoidance, sex ed. It's all about not getting pregnant. It's all about not breaking the law. Right. And nowhere is it talking about sex being pleasurable for people and how do you make it pleasurable and how do you ensure that it's pleasurable and these you think there should be a list of the karma sutra <laughs> positions no, in, in not, not a list of the karma sutra <laughs> positions but certainly an expectation that right. people should enjoy it yes and how do you check in yeah, yeah. and yeah yeah um yeah uh, good point. A, a little more focus on your partner and a little less focus on yourself. Right. Good point. So but can I ask, we, how old were you all when you got your first copy of the Kama Sutra? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was 15, I think, or yeah. 16, 15 right. or 16, I remember. Good read. Right. <laughs> it, was, it, it was fascinating at that age, I have to say. It's I was like boring. Right. <laughs> yeah, but when you're 15 or 16, Joe, that kind of thing is revelationary. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I know, I'd read The Joy of Sex. I was about to say it, I think. uh, That was very 70s. Right, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but where did did you see this curriculum stuff? Like, why would you have been seeing a curriculum on sex? This was a podcast I was listening to, interviewed one of the psychologists Ah, who was involved. Ah, right, okay. Um, And this is actually a couple of churches in the US, but it is completely secular. So all the religious content in this is a separate manual that the churches then apply. But it is uh, sex positive and it is completely science-based and is all about... Oh, oh that's that's what it was recommended yeah. in terms... Okay, but the part where it was... Um, you said you'd seen what's currently going on. Was that referring oh, to the American experience? No, or no, the no. So this is the Australian. Right. Okay. Um, this is having children in school and yep. hearing what they learn. Okay, right. Yep. 
Do you think we should consult um, Mrs. Houston? Right. Yes. She might have some right. guidance for she, us. She was all about making sure your man was happy, wasn't she? Yes. And having your plumbing bits <laughs> tightened right. up yes. tightened up with some Pilates. Indeed. Yeah, that was yeah. her. Yeah, that was part of her thing. I wonder what her position yeah. is on um, juvenile sex education. Roman mentions it's not just private schools and she's got an elder son, went to a government co-ed school, had to help his mates prevent a rape at a party. Lack of understanding, um, consent, what it means amongst young boys is a major issue. I agree, of course, it's everywhere. I just have the feeling, I just suspect because of the unnatural nature of it, splitting the sexes up into, into all boys or all girls' schools has to accentuate a problem. It can't help, surely. So. That was my feeling. Did mm. you feel that too, Shay? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yet another reason to get rid of these religious schools, put everyone in a government school. Yes. Indeed. Mm. Right, so that was that. Um, meanwhile in India, if you thought things were bad here, India's top judge is facing calls to resign after telling an accused rapist to marry his schoolgirl victim to avoid jail. This is India's top judge. More than 5,000 people signed a petition demanding that the Chief Justice quit after he told the government technician at a hearing, if you want to marry her, we can help you. If not, you lose your job and you go to jail. His comments sparked a furor. According to the letter, the defendant is accused of stalking tying up, gagging and repeatedly raping the girl and threatening to douse her in petrol, set her alight and have her brother killed. Well, the you chi- know, there's biblical precedent. And the Chief Justice in India said, well, if you marry her, that'll, we can sort things out. Mm. And as, as Joe mentioned, there's something very similar in the Old Testament, isn't mm. there? Yeah. Right. That was India, just so we feel like things aren't so bad here. Um, Paul... Well, I can't call you a lying cow because it just doesn't make li- sense, does it? a lying bull? <laughs> yeah, because really, <laughs> if I was to call somebody a lying cow, it re- a cow is really referred just to the female. It's really limited to the female gender, isn't Pretty it? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. So former Liberal star for Brittany Higgins has demanded a public apology from Defence Minister Linda Reynolds for saying she was a lying cow. And Reynolds says that her comments were not in reference to Miss Higgins' claims about being sexually assaulted, but separate news reports about her response to the incident. So that doesn't look good. A minister in an office ranting about, God damn, lying cow, what's she done now? Yeah, but it was in the minister's office. It wasn't in front of a news reporter. It wasn't mm. intended to be a public in a proclamation. No, but even in a private Oh, come setting. on. Surely people are entitled to, you know, vent a little bit in the privacy of their own offices. I think that's... It's not smart. No. It's not smart, but it's human, you know. She's under pressure. She's being accused of stuff. She's just a lying cow. Mm. And who amongst us has never said something similar, you know, mm. or worse? Mm-hmm. I don't think that really is uh, something that you'd sue somebody for. I I mentioned it because uh, Brittany Higgins was looking at a defamation case and I think you made some comment, is that defamation? And and my response is, yep, but the question is, uh, what's it worth? 
And, so, and, and also, um, which bit is defamation? The, the lying or the cow? Or, or the both together would be enough to justify a defamation claim, surely. So, so surely if you could prove she was lying, right, would that still be defamation? Ah, it's, well, if it, it's truth or defence... I don't know. In some jurisdictions, it used to be the truth was not necessarily a defence. <laughs> okay. Can you believe? That was years ago. Mm. I think things have changed. And, um, yeah, we've got um, quite strong defamation laws in Australia compared to other countries, mm. yeah, which makes our speech more restrictive some than a lot of other places. too strong. Mm. Mm. So, anyway, seeking an apology and... If I was Senator Reynolds, I'd be given one. <laughs> well, an apology is easy. And if, yeah. if I was in her position, I yep. probably would too. I'd say, yeah. look, I'm sorry. I was mm. just, you know, I was yep. under pressure. I was stressed. You know, yep. it just came out of my mouth. I'm yep. sorry. I didn't really mean and, it. And I think if you make a proper apology like that, that should be the end of it. Should and it be, should be, sure. Yeah, it shouldn't go beyond that. Mm. Power thought. to her, though, mm. to Brittany. Like, no matter what happens, she just, like, throws her back, you know. She makes the allegations and then she says, no, Mr. Prime Minister, that's victim blaming. And now she's, you know, like she's really going for it. I'm impressed. Mm. Mm. So she's standing up for herself. Yes. Yep. So, um, Are you not going to stand up for Senator Reynolds too? Right. Um, I just think um, I, just, I just look at the context of, the way that Senator Reynolds has an opportunity to respond every time and keeps cowering, that's all. Just think, just C- own cowering. like either own it or, or shut up, basically. Or well, she admitted that she'd said it. Yes, but in the same skeezy way that they manage it. So some of the remarks are mine. It was taken out of context. And that happens. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, I do appreciate that, but it's just the same Liberal Party kind of rhetoric that we're familiar with. And, it's not um, just the Liberal Party, is it, Shay, really? I suppose. I, but it seems I, I louder. I the same thing from politicians of all stripes. Mm. Well, speaking on that score, I don't think I've got on the list. I don't know why I missed it, but um, really it's come out about Bill Shorten mm. and... Really, what are the differences between Bill Shorten and Christian Porter? The stories it's, sound it's, eerily similar, don't it's they? It's historical rape allegation. The difference is, of course, that the alleged victim or the complainant is still alive and made a report to the police and the police questioned Bill Shorten and made some investigation that seems to have been more thorough than what's happened in the Christian Porter case, but they, they've actually asked him, Shorten, for his response, where mm. it seems they didn't ask Christian Porter anything. They never put the allegations to him. Well, the young so. woman in question withdrew her complaint. True. So yep. and that's the another police difference. had no reason to interview yeah. Porter. Yeah. Mind you, though, as a matter of criminal law, it's not actually up to a... a, in a victim, if you like, to decide whether a case goes ahead. Police can still prosecute a case even if a complainant decides that they're not going ahead because it's not their choice. Like, it's really the society who is saying, if a crime's been committed, it's it's now all our business, not just yours. You don't get to decide that we've mm. stopped with this. But in reality, that's what happens. But 
it is possible for them to continue. So anyway, I, I guess, so there are some key differences between them, granted, but the media response has been quite different. Quite different. Where they basically let Bill Shorten, uh, they, <laughs> they just said there's a senior Labor guy who's under questioning for a historical rape and nothing was really said for seven or so months until the police said, we've had a look and nothing to see. And at that point, he outed himself. And pretty much people went, okay, it's you, it's over, done, and let's move on. And very different to what's happened now. And and um, you might refer to the comment on the screen, which is my sentiments exactly. Right. Bill Shorten isn't the Attorney General. That's true. Mm, yes. I think that's a key difference. Yes, but... Yeah. And the headline of that article was um, a lot's changed in a decade or something, and I didn't see that much has changed. Do you, do you think I, much has changed? I think if the Bill Shorten case happened now or in the next few months something similar happened, it would be treated very differently to how it was. I think. Mm. I think. Is I think it the that response... he got off scot free, or do you think that they're coming down on Christian too hard? I think. The... I just think that the rules have changed, and mm. people have the media and society have decided. No, we're going to. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. To tell you the truth, so. But I think the rules of the game have changed. So if it happened to Bill Shorten or somebody else, exact same circumstances, I don't think the media would hold off the way they did. Mm. Um, is that so, because it's the media or because the issue is more important? Because the media, as we know, they love sensationalism. So why didn't they sensationalise Bill Shorten? Why didn't I'd they, like to know. Um, Barnaby Joyce. Yeah, so When oh, his so. daughter was driving around... Town saying my dad is a lying, cheating bastard, or whatever yeah, it was she was saying right. during mm. his election. During campaign. his election campaign, none mm. of that reached the mm. press. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. So you know, Shorten basically came through that and was more or less unscathed as the opposition leader running for prime minister, mm-hmm. and with a very good chance of winning, seemingly better than average chance of winning. Um, don't write Christian Porter off. You never, mm. you never know. Like, just look at Trump. There were all those times, you know, grabbing by the pussy and whatever, and you think that's the end of him. His career's over. And at least Christian Porter didn't say that. Well, yeah. but hang on, yeah. it was the brazenness of Trump that made him popular. That's true. It was um, the fact that Porter hasn't gone. Yeah, it was me. So what? That was a long time in the past or whatever mm-hmm. and, and just explained it away and brazened it out. Mm. That's what got Trump the the following. True. It was, it was the tribalism surrounding Trump. But it was also I was watching Planet America the other night and um, Dr. Dave was on and he made a really good point, I think, which is that because they're talking about uh, the mayor of New York, Cuomo or whatever, mm. who's in trouble at the yeah, moment. he's in and, strife. Isn't yeah. It? And what Dr. Dave was saying is that when there's a scandal in the past, while there were mechanisms in place that theoretically could get rid of people, what invariably happened was people fell on their own sword. Mm. 
and actually went before they were kicked out, before the institutions were forced to act. Like people, Nixon, right? Yeah, yeah, people would fall on their sword. And he said what Trump has demonstrated in the last few years have demonstrated is if you don't fall on your sword and you f- wait for the institutions to force you out, it, in, you know, it's quite a good chance it won't happen. Mm. So that was a really interesting insight, I thought, that um, there's a difference in our society today. So um, take Christian Porter and, I mean... Years ago, we had ministers forced to resign because they imported a black and white TV, which, which was declared, and it turned out it was a colour TV. You're out, mate. You're out of the ministry. Another guy brought in a Paddington Bear, didn't declare it. He was out of the ministry. Mm. And um, now we've got Christian Porter, who, if he doesn't fall on his sword and just says, I'm still the Attorney General, comes back, and he just keeps going, mm. what's going to happen? He'll just keep going. It's entirely possible. I, my feeling is he's too badly wounded now mm. to, to really keep going, but we'll mm. see. Mm. So um, so in the chat room, uh, Dricky says, Bill Shorten's matter was fully investigated. Porter's hasn't. Uh, that, that's true. But um, they... they the media treatment during that seven months before he was exonerated, he was left alone. And uh, it's interesting times. Again, Is yeah. it possible mm. that um, because in Victoria the, um, the gag laws might have still been in place, so the victim wasn't able to go to the media? I don't know. Mm. Don't so know. I, yeah, maybe. maybe. I hadn't heard I, I that I thought the gag laws reason. were relatively recent. Mm. Was the, that only the last year or two, the gag laws? Yeah, I know that they're um, that they've been there a long time in Tasmania and in Northern Territory, mm. but I think you're right. I think Victoria didn't have them and then started putting them in for some other specific and, reason and, and had to the take victims, them out. Yeah, yeah. But I do. Mm. I just yeah. I just threw I don't know. That, I hadn't, heard that, that, I hadn't sure. heard that when people have been talking about it. So mm. I think if it was the case, it probably would have been mentioned in the articles that mm. I've been reading, but. Mm. Uh, Daniel in chat room says Barry O'Farrell and his bottle of Grange that he didn't declare. Yep, that's mm-hmm. true. So all those things, people fell on their sword. Um, I, I think uh, yeah. people have said that um, there are a whole lot of unwritten rules in the US that Trump just basically steamrolled through mm. uh, and now they're going to have to turn them into written rules. That's right. But a lot of government relies on... Convention. Yes. Mm, that's true. Yep. Okay. So that was the uh, that was that, that was that one. Church and state conference. So in Brisbane there was a church and state conference. Um, Did you attend? No. <laughs> no. Didn't. You can buy the video and oh, watch good. it at your leisure if you like. Buy the video. Yeah. They rec- <laughs> for twenty dollars, I think you can buy it. So. I know someone who's going to get a copy and... Oh, can we make a night of it? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Who still has a video player? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. (laughs) Old school. I have a DVD player (laughs) at home, which hasn't been turned on for several years, but I'm sure it'll still work. Yeah. So it was a gathering of conservative Christian activists and um, basically 
Liberal National MP George Christensen was on a panel and he said it's simple maths that getting more Christians into the coalition would change its centre of gravity. Politics is all about numbers, he said. The more people you have in that broad church that are from conservative Christian wing, the more it's going to lean in that direction. Well, the more, more people he can import from the Philippines. Y- yes. Well, I think he just likes to travel over oh, there. They can stay there the and he'll just, he just, um, he'll just travel over there. There's a guy, David Pellow, who said, it's not branch stacking, it's participation. It's what they've been doing with the Frankfurt School and the infiltration of the institutions for 50 years. It's just turning up and it's our turn to turn up. So we've been rabbiting on about this for five and a half years about uh, Christian groups and how easy it is for them to basically dominate political parties, especially the Liberal Party, because you don't need that many people to get control of a branch and they're organised and they're turning up and they're taking a leaf straight out of the American playbook. What was very telling was the quote that said, we may have to turn down some of our um, goals or some of our policies until we get into power. Yes. Because otherwise we may not get voted if people understand what we want to do. Yes. So basically don't disclose the full agenda. Yes. Uh, just the more palatable ones. Basically. Yes, it's what uh, George Christensen said. But he's basically right, isn't he? Yes. Yes. That, you know, if you want to change the politics, you have to yeah. get involved. And yeah. yes. We used to discuss this in the secular party. Mm. Mm. We used to say, you know, why don't more people support a secular party? It's mm. because secular people are like just getting on with their lives, you yes. know? Yes. They're not that motivated because secularism is sort of like the furniture. It's something you take for granted. No, 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 no. The secular people are trying to um, repress Christians. (laughs) And it's a a cabal of um, secularists who are out to get the Christians and persecute them. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I forgot that part of our agenda. Well, really, what I'm trying to do here in a lot of ways is basically try to explain to secular people, that you are being persecuted and you need to band together and stop the persecution that is happening that you don't see is happening to you. Wake up, it's actually happening. So, um, yeah. Uh, Yeah, actually, I just wanted to say about this is mm -hmm. that um, I can actually pinpoint my uh, Labor Party uh, membership to one of your podcasts. Right. Yeah, because you said, Trevor, Mm. if are we angry yet or something like that? And then Mm. you said, if you want to make a difference to this, you need to join the Labor Party, you need to go down there and agitate. And I thought that was true. There we go. So, yeah. So I went down there and started saying Satanism and watch everybody visibly recoil. (laughs) 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 They were so pleased to have someone young but right oh, did you hectic. out yourself as a satanist on your no first but day? i kept bringing up the right. you know <laughs> right did you out yourself as an iron fist velvet glove uh podcast listener yes right okay that's they, good uh, most of them didn't know no of course, yeah. No. yeah of course not yeah they don't and care. They... <laughs> mel, mel in the chat room she turned up as well as a candidate on the sunshine case for labor mel was it did I have any influence there? Well, you just did it on your own. But she's, she turned up as well. So if I've achieved nothing else in this five That's and a half right. years is I've signed up one Labor Party member. <laughs> Shay. <laughs> right. Possibly a Satanist. Possibly, yes. Um, also at that same conference, 
um, Martin Isles was there, and he said, you can be sure that any serious geopolitical, any serious military conflict by China will change everything in a second. If we are genuinely terrified of threats from China, we won't be worrying about climate change or our gender, whether we're boys or girls. Dad will hate me for this, but he often says, you know what, we need to sort this out, we need a good war. <laughs> and there's a little bit of truth in that. And one of the other panellists said, oh, not really, we're not calling for war. Not yet anyway, sort of situation. So that was, um, that was all part of this uh, Christian conference. They're really big on wokeness, anti-wokeness in the Christian groups. They see that so as a means of, of attracting support. So should I it's, sign it's, up? <laughs> it's, it's not really a religious issue, but things, for example, like Dr. Seuss that we'll talk about soon and cancel culture, the guys like Martin Niles and, and that uh, John Anderson, who's now coming out of retirement to try and run for the Senate. And there's a whole bunch of... Is he really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. A lot of these... I like his podcast. It's a terrible it's a podcast. But yeah, it's yeah. a very, no. very good podcast. No, I've only seen awful. one that I didn't like, Trevor. No, and I that was where he, he spoke with a... Um, I think he was a, like a theological scholar of some sort. Yeah. And he was rattling on about how relevant, you know, faith is in the modern world. And mm. John Anderson was in furious agreement. That's the only one of his podcasts that I actually sat there going, oh, bullshit, you know. Right. He gets really interesting, you know, public intellectuals. No, he He, he gets, does. He gets, I know he, you don't like him, Trevor, but yeah. that's just your personal bias and I don't understand it because he gets really interesting, intelligent people like Douglas Murray and, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you Douglas Murray is an interesting guy. Jonathan Haidt and... Uh, Who's uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali's husband? Mm. Um, anyway, he's a British mm. historian. Really, mm. he, he gets really, mm. really interesting people mm. to interview. He loves pushing the barrow of wokeness and of, of anti-wokeness and, and anti-identity uh, politics. Mm. And the Christian right see that argument as one that's favourable to them. They are sort of conflating um, their goals with striking down that crazy left wokeish sort of stuff they're adopting it as their mm. um as, as one of the features of their christianity if you like so i find that quite interesting that they're using that as as a sort of a, a weapon so um mel in the chat room said i joined a bit before that but for the same reason comrade <laughs> <laughs> <Good morning, Mel. laughs> right um incidentally um, speaking of Satanists, uh, the Noosa Temple of Satan got a mention in the Victorian Parliament. So from Fiona Patton, ah, I'll play it. So um, it goes for a couple of minutes. It goes for a minute 51, but I'll play it anyway. Here we go. Tried to put today. Sark was clear on this, and I thank the Attorney-General for actually making available um, her response to the Sark questions. And Sark, and it was very clear that this is, as I say, this does not prevent you from being a homophobe. This does not prevent you from saying all gays will go to hell. It's not true. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't actually think 
there is a hell. Actually, I, I did get a, um, but just, as a just as a quick aside, I, I, um, I was sent a copy of a letter. I don't know if the others got it. It was a letter, open letter to Premier Dan, Daniel Andrews, and it was from the Noosa Temple of Satan. Now, I know Mr Finn actually um, thought I might be Satan's little helper, um, but it... <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe I am, because the, the Temple of Satan actually supports this bill. And as a, a little bit of light relief, they said, we see de demonic possession as being crucial to, uh, to helping us maintain a stable membership base. And this is why they wanted to outlaw exorcism so the demons could stay within those bodies and that they could continue to grow. The performance of exorcisms to drive Satan out of people's souls is a direct threat to our aims. So that was obviously in relation to the, uh, uh, the act that there was on the sort of conversion therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah and, the, and that act specifically stops people from having exorcisms, which... From a satanic point of view, it was a very good move and very inclusive. Yes. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, but um, you don't like the anti-prayer. I don't know. No. Um, I mean, it's not exorcism exactly as, or necessarily as we mm. saw in the movie The Exorcist, mm. for example. I mean, it could be just a group of people sitting around, you know, the the person that they're trying to cure, mm. as they put it, mm. and praying, you know. I mean, some exorcisms can be quite violent and quite uh, dangerous, physically dangerous. Well, well, but I don't imagine sitting around a person praying is necessarily physically dangerous. Uh, mentally very dangerous for people. Very dangerous, you think? Yeah, yes, the, the point that was, was the point. that it was suggesting that there is something wrong with them for being gay. Yes, and obviously I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. But I think you have to be careful about outlawing things just mm. because you think it's, you know, you disagree with it. Yeah, but the point is in order for it to have been a, an offence, it had to uh, create injury as a result of the practice. So if you couldn't show injury... Um, then, no prosecution. Then, then no prosecution. But if you were to hold something, uh, an event, I think you were still liable for um, for prosecution. But in terms of, uh, let me just see here. I'm just trying to bring up the old notes here. Um, so a change or suppression practice means a practice or conduct directed towards a person um, on the basis of the person's sexual orientation or gender identity and for the purposes of changing or suppressing their sexual orientation or gender identity or inducing the person to change or suppress. Um, so it was basically pressuring people to, in relation to their gender choices and Basically, the offence was if you do that and you injure somebody, which injury has to be proven, then you're you've definitely created an offence. So, you know, I but think injury that, is an offence in any case, isn't it? In yeah. any circumstance, if you injure somebody, you're liable for prosecution, aren't you? So then you wouldn't have a problem with an act that says so why that makes, they... an act that makes it clear that if you do it in this manner and cause injury, then you're guilty of an offence. I just wonder why they have to have a. Mm. The law against injuring in this specific manner. Mm. 
because like, injuring people mm. is always illegal. Yeah. I guess to make it clear to people, stop doing this. This is the sort of thing we don't want you to do. I think is pretty clear is what they were doing. So I think we have to be careful that we mm. don't allow this to be a precedent for outlawing other things that become disapproved of. Because, as we know, in the mm. former Soviet Union, mm. one of the government tactics for suppressing dissent mm. was to declare people mentally unwell and mm. commit them to a hospital. Mm. So a person commits an offence if they engage in a change or suppression practice, the change or suppression practice causes injury, and they're negligent as to whether engaging in the change or suppression action will cause injury. So basically, if you can do that shit and cause injury to somebody, here's an offence that's going to deal with you and here's some specific penalties. So don't do it. Don't injure people with this practice. Don't injure people in any practice. Well, but what's the harm in saying here's a specific instance that we're making it very clear to you if you injure somebody doing this, you're in trouble. So why not list all the other potential ways that you can well, injure well, somebody? you've got to become a member of parliament and pass a law for other ways. I just but... think we don't need more laws. We mm. need laws that are, you know, sensible mm. without going into these sort of very specific fringe activities that may or may not injure people. And obviously if they injure people, then there should be some... Uh, consequence, mm. but uh, it does start to look a little bit like religious persecution. I would agree with you if there wasn't an injury component to this, and the fact that there's an injury component means I think it's worthy of an offence. You just don't seem to think an injury could flow from this. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. So wouldn't you want to protect people who are injured? There must be nutbags haranguing them like this. There must be hundreds of different specific circumstances where you could foreseeably say, well, an injury could happen, so so we better have a law about it. So, Paul, we have have assault. You assault somebody, you're guilty of an offence. But then we have a rape offence, so it's a form of assault. You know, we have... Could be. uh, we, We have variations on on existing laws that deal with different circumstances and we decide as a community this particular offence in this particular manner is worthy of this sort of penalty. Because this really says to a judge as well, if you just have a general injury of um, assault sort of provision, what's the judge going to do? He's going to sort of go, well, what do I compare this to? What's my guidance in terms of sentencing? Well, now we've given a judge guidance as to sentencing. I think a good example is um, the non-answer from, uh, I think it was the Queensland AG about um, male circumcision. Right. And she said there's already a law, a statute that says uh, unwarranted surgery is illegal. Right. And yet there is a separate offence on the books for female genital mutilation. Right. Uh, And that is even where there is no damage caused. Right. And so... Good point. We, we have one where we're going, well, any form of medical intervention that is not medically necessary is, a, is, an, a, is an assault, and yet we have a separate law on the books that says in this particular offence we have a higher penalty. Yep. 
good example, Jane. You know, male infant circumcision still happens, doesn't it? Uh, Absolutely. Mm. But there is a case in point where we've called out a specific form of medical assault Mm -hmm. and made it very, very obvious in the law that it is illegal. Mm. Right. Let's move on to Dr. Seuss. So Dr. Seuss books have been recalled, not cancelled. Only five or six of them, isn't it? Yeah. So there's um, the books, I think, are, and I think I saw it on Mulby Street, If I Ran the Zoo, McKellicott's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. So they haven't been banned. It's just that the estate of Dr. Seuss has decided to withdraw it those books from future reprinting. Mm. So, which is as good as banning them, in effect, isn't it? Yeah, but this is a vol- but the point is it's a voluntary decision, and there hasn't really been an enormous kerfuffle lead up to this. It's not like it is a result of. Some sustained specific, but there pressure. were complaints, Trevor. There were complaints mm. made, and they <laughs> responded by mm. saying, "Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Mm. Maybe some of them are a little bit iffy." Yeah, but you wouldn't. Um, not like some of the instances we've seen where there's been a large uproar of in relation to a book, and it's been. Mm. It, it was also noticed mm. that in the president's. Introduction to National Reading Day, mm. Dr. Zeus wasn't mentioned where mm. he has been for many other year, years. Right. And it was originally in mm. his memory or he introduced it, mm. something to do with the, the, the Reading Day had been set up yes. by him. It mm. was very closely linked, that National Reading Day, very closely linked to Dr. Zeus and his books. Mm. So it was a glaring omission, wasn't it, when Biden failed to mention him? For the first time in, as Joe said, many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Do you suspect some... Biden was trying to avoid controversy? I s- would not doubt it. <laughs> Playing well, it safe? Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, um, <laughs> Spineless. Yeah. So, um, so in this case, let's look at the particular books. Well, um, Actually, a bit more information. Um, so the the guy, the real name for Dr. Seuss is... Do you speak German? Giselle? I don't know. Hmm. Who died in 1991. Later in life, he made efforts to tone down racial stereotypes in some of his books. Such revisions were imperfect, but... Well-intentioned efforts that softened but did not erase the stereotyping, Nell said. And I think Nell is... A niece uh, or a... a niece or a... Yeah. Some relation anyway. Yeah. So essentially what we've got with these books is uh, pictures that include ethnic stereotyping. So in the book about... um, And I think I saw it on Mulberry Street... Um, first published in 1937. The story follows a boy named Marco who describes a parade of imaginary people and vehicles travelling along a road, Mulberry Street. 
In an elaborate fantasy story, he dreams up to tell his father at the end of his walk. Uh, however, when he re- arrives home, he decides to tell his father what he actually saw, which was a simple horse and wagon. So he dreams up all these imaginary things that he saw when he was going to tell his father. So Dr. Seuss Enterprises did not specify which illustrations were offensive, but it seems that it is the depiction of a Chinese man um, who is what's caused the problem. So the original publication referred to a Chinaman who also had a pigtail and yellow colouring for the skin, the character's skin. These later fe- features were removed by Dr. Seuss in the 1970s when the name was changed to a Chinese man. And I think we've got a picture on the screen of, of the picture of the Chinese man with funny hat, funny shoes, chopsticks, bowl of rice, smiling and slanty eyes. I, quite, it's, I f- it's, find slanty eyes quite attractive. I have it, to say, it's, say, it's not like it's depicting somebody in a bad light. Exactly. What do you think, Shay? It looks happy. Are you prepared I to say? I think this is progress. Right. Mm, so yeah. I think that nowhere in the article um, was the man who recalled the books even mentioned that it was offensive. He just said factually that they are caricature stereotypes and that he's they're being recalled not mm-hmm. cancelled mm-hmm. so essentially possibly he did get some feedback he's implemented the feedback we're evolving as a species mm-hmm. we're looking at the quality of our speech and the, mm-hmm. and the things that we put in our books and we decide to recall some of them mm-hmm. but you think it's good that that's no longer available I think uh, it is still mm. available. It mm. just won't be as readily accessible as it was mm. before. It won't be available to anybody who wants you'll to buy have, it. You'll, you'll have to buy an old edition. This is not his best book anyway. Yeah. None of these titles I even recognise. And I mm. loved Dr. Seuss as mm. a kid. Mm. So I mm. don't, yeah, I think but it's you progress. Don't, you don't I think, think that our culture has been robbed of something? I mean, it's a historical document. It's a reflection of how people saw each other in 1937 in this case. Mm. And it's this how, how it's a childish this image. particular author saw. Yes, of course. Mm. But, I mean, I think it's safe to assume a lot of people in 1937 probably had a similar stereotypical I think when it hit, image the, when it hit the shelves, nobody went, oh, my goodness, what a no, racialized no. <laughs> image of it. Of a of a Chinaman that is, yeah, but he didn't a, say yeah, yeah. he didn't say that that's what's taken place either. We yeah. just presume that somebody's written in to say it was offensive. Yeah, yeah. but he's saying, oh, I'm actually going to take a leadership role on this, and he, um, uh, whomever's or, or recalled the, or decided the to recall them. The right. company, yes, right. the people in the uh, the uh, foundation or whatever it is that takes care of his estate. But look, I th- I, I want to take a an mm. an opposite view. I think we're being robbed of our literary heritage. You know, in the s- similar way to the way uh, Mark Twain's books mm. were causing controversy in recent years where people, mm. you know, because he used the word nigger, for example, um, yeah. in context, in the context of the story, uh, not as an insult, but, you know, in the context of the story which was set in the, what, early 19th century, something like that? Huckleberry mm. Finn and Tom Sawyer. Um, well, to kill, a, to kill a Mockingbird has been taken out of... Uh, 
Yes, again. Schools and, recently. And look, to me, I think it's, it teaches young people that uh, these, you know, that people were bad in those days. People saw people in a bad light, that people, you know, were essentially bad for making images like this, whereas they weren't bad people. They were just, you know, that was their cultural frame of reference, if you know what I mean. And rather than teach children, oh, this is an image that must never be seen by human eyes, I think we should be teaching children this has to be placed in historical context. And rather than people throw their hands up and go, oh, so offensive, why not alternatively laugh at the image and say, oh, isn't it funny the way people saw each other in those days? And it goes both ways. You can imagine that if you went to China or Japan, Mm -hmm. they would have had their own stereotypical drawings of uh, Europeans or Westerners, you know, Mm -hmm. and they would have been equally stereotypical. If, if for example, there's a, a Chinese Dr Seuss who printed books and in it had a picture of caricatured white man, mm. um, I, I wouldn't be calling for it's For it to be banned. banned. No, of course yeah, not. You, you'd probably say, oh, isn't that curious? Isn't unless that interesting? It, unless it was something really even problematic it with it. Uh, but I, even I just, if it was, if, yeah. it's a, if it's a product of mm. a, a historical time and, mm. you know, period yep. in international relations and cultural development and all mm. that... We should be exposing our children to the full richness of mm. our cultural heritage, mm. not trying to, you mm. know, avert their eyes from certain things or, you know, cover their ears, you know, so they don't hear a certain yeah, word. because arguably I when reading... The, sorry. sorry. No, you go ahead. Oh, all right. I think, like, from where, where I'm standing is not so much about uh, people having access to it but the perpetuation of it. That's where I think... Um, this company is looking. But does it perpetuate stereotypes, do you think, really? Um, It's a children's book. (laughs) You might have me there. (laughs) Children grow up, you know, as they get older, they learn that these stereotypes are not accurate representations of real people. If They're not idiots, you know, they they Mm. can see through that. Strangely, well, Paul, it's taken. It's been a long time since you agreed with me <laughs> on anything on anything contentious. Oh, but I, I think we are of a similar mind on this one, particularly. But on is this it partic- contentious? Like the whole act, like the whole action is like it, all this stuff about it being offensive and people making complaints and stuff. We don't actually. Do we have any evidence to support that? Yeah. Like, um, is yeah, it only uh, uh, because uh, of the outrage of recalling it that you know, and you know. You can be reassured that a number of um, officials have read the books on YouTube. Mm. So we still will have ready access to them should we want it. Yeah. So we can just watch it being read. Maybe this particular one isn't contentious. Um, but let's move on to the next one. Um, I ran, If I ran the zoo, so... When young Gerald McGrew visits the zoo, he discovers that exotic animals are not good enough. He says if he ran the zoo, he would set all of the current animals free and find new, more bizarre and exotic ones. Throughout the book, he lists these creatures, starting with a lion with 10 feet and escalating to more imaginative and imaginary creatures. Um, And it's about how he would travel around the world sort of collecting these creatures for his special zoo. So, of course, in travelling the world... uh, he comes across 
uh, people who need to help him in terms of gathering these creatures or are just in the scenes. And so um, let me just see. If I ran the zoo, has been criticised for its use of racial stereotypes and caricatures. Um, perceived presence of occasional stereotypes of native people, pot-bellied, thick-lipped blacks from Africa, squinty-eyed orientals that may mm. offend some modern readers. So, um, Joe, I assume you're putting these up as we go along. But the first one, um, obviously, again, some oriental characters and... Um, I don't think that's particularly offensive myself. It's and I just like it because it's if, got the tall guy at the front, yeah. smaller guy at the back as they're going down a hill. Um, I've seen just, a lot of in my studies uh, on China. I've seen a lot of old photos of Chinese people, and let me tell you, they don't look that. They looked pretty much like that in certain cases. Yeah, they got the wispy moustaches. The the. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's a deliberately insulting image. Yeah, I don't think that's far different from the other one that we we're just looking at. No. Um, and again, a sort of an Arabian style guy on a camel. Um, he's just got a long moustache and a turban. Uh, What's with the camel? Though? So, so well, he's wearing a gimp mask. Yeah. Well, it's an exotic creature. Okay. <laughs> uh, this one's a problem. This, this one has got sort of the, the pot-bellied black people with the crazy nose piercings and they... Well, that those one, nose rings are quite popular now, yeah, quite fashionable yeah. for some people. Uh, that one's a problem. And then there's another one of a Russian character. So out of all those, I, I think the one with the... Uh, with with the black people, it, it almost looked monkey like that. That one, it, mm. I think the solution there is just to do a new picture, like as what they did with the. Uh, I, th I think that one, maybe just do a new picture on that one and be done with I it. Know. Do you know what it reminded me of? <clears throat> I don't know. You're you're a little bit younger than me, but and they've they've disappeared. But when I was a kid, there were. There was a regular, um, I don't know if I'd describe it as a comic book, but there was an Australian artist who used to just draw Indigenous Australians. Right. And I forget the title of it now. Oh, I wish I knew what it was called. I haven't seen one. I haven't seen a copy of these. these you know, they were kind of cartoon, stylistic, drawings of Indigenous Australians, both male and female. And I used to, I found them fascinating as a, as a child. I don't remember exactly what age I was, but I found them fascinating. And they actually made me more interested in Indigenous Australians and mm. curious about them. And they weren't, to my eyes at that age, they weren't unflattering. In fact, I found them quite attractive, I have to say. So they... They were stylistic, but they were stylistic in a not in an insulting way, but more in a flattering way. Perhaps some of the scenes that they were depicted in and their attire was probably quite stereotyped. Um, but they've disappeared, completely disappeared. I haven't seen one in many, many decades. So it mm. would appear to me that they became politically too incorrect and the publisher just 
stopped publishing them. Mm. Or maybe the artist died and nobody else was interested. I don't know. Mm. But um, again, you know, I go back to what I said before. It's, you know, we, our culture has mm. moved on. We, if, if children see them, we just say, well, that was yep. a product of its well, era. Well, well and I mean, we've got um, uh, Michelangelo's Statue of David a fully naked man in mm. all his glory mm. and, you know... In... And very smallly endowed because apparently brain size was inversely proportional to your um, penis length. There you go. <laughs> Did you know that, Shane? <laughs> and, and, and we were trying to make this podcast less blokey. Yeah. <laughs> but... The point is, okay, the point is that's an image that can be extremely offensive for for some people. For some people, but we recognise it as a valuable artwork and 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 buggy yes. or offence. And it sort was of a thing. product so, so, of its time. So, yeah. Look, I remember uh, the David Jones department store mm. had a replica, a quite a large replica of the statue of David right. in the main entrance of their department store in Parramatta, really, where I grew up, right, and. You know, we used to go shop. I used to go shopping there with my mum when I was a little kid, and we'd walk in, we'd walk mm. past this giant statue of David. It, it was no big deal. You know, nobody sort of said, "Oh, cover your eyes." You know, mm. but it isn't. I don't think it is a big deal. Do any mm. of you own any of these titles? I'm not mm. familiar with no. any of them. No, I am familiar mm. with Dr. Seuss's better works. Mm. Yeah. So, but better is a, is a value judgment, of course, and a personal value judgment. Yes, mm. right about that. Nothing beats the cat in the hat. <laughs> Do you know my favourite? Oh, the places you'll go. Yes, you know that one? that's beautiful. I found that quite yes. inspiring. Mm. It was wonderful. You know the one, don't you? I wasn't exposed to a lot of Dr. Seuss. I wasn't either as yeah. a child. But, so it hadn't um, stuck in my memory. Somebody introduced that one to me when I was a mature adult and I, I looked through it and I thought, wow, yeah. why didn't I see that when I was a kid? Yes. Has the chat room gone quiet or is my screen frozen? No, no, it's no. gone quiet. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> they fall already asleep. Yeah, they have in there. So, okay. That's they may not be able – are they able to see the images? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So in the um, – anyway, as a business, if you've got, as these guys do, a large catalogue of work, uh, as a business decision, it probably makes good sense to, to get rid of some mm. of these offensive ones so that you can be on the A-list when it comes to presidential um, – recommendations and things like that. I, as a business decision, I, I get it. Why did I buy the Kama Sutra at the age of 15 or 16, Trevor? Why do you think I Because it was recommended it? by a president. Because it was <laughs> controversial. <laughs> Controversy sells. Yes. So, gee, I mean, yes. if they were still available for yes. purchase. Yes. In fact, when yes. I saw this article, I personally looked on Amazon to see if I could get a copy before they disappeared and they were already withdrawn from sale. Yes. So you think the publishers made a bad business decision? I think so. Right. Yeah, well, maybe. But there are other things that are involved now where things like a presidential recommendation and libraries start cancelling you and things like that. They look to think, ah, oh, let's get rid of a handful of these ones and we'll, uh, we'll charge on and... Keep making our millions. Well, Not it, to mention, mm. didn't a bunch of people rush out to buy mm. the books? Yeah. Yes. Like me. <laughs> yes. 
You could you? get it. Well, I tried. Did you? I tried. I was curious because oh, I'd never from seen From a business that. perspective? I'd never seen That's those titles, so well, I was curious. It's like when the gun sales are slumping, you just say that some US politician is trying to take them away from you and you can guarantee they'll double overnight. True. Yeah. Good yep. point, Joe. There we go. Right. Um, one other thing I came across. Have you heard of this reference... Um, it's American, I know, but it, instead of referring to Latinos, it's referring to Latin, Latinx, L-A-T-I-N-X, mm. as opposed to Latinos. I've because, seen it, but I, yes. I I don't really know why the X was added, do you? Because well, in Latin language, of course, Latino is male, Latina is female. Indeed. And having worked with Latin people in my line of work... Um, they often do refer to each other with those, um, you know, word endings. Yeah. Uh, and oh. Before we move on, Troy in the chat room says, <laughs> why they were so quiet, we were so shocked by the fist and twelfth agreeing on something that we couldn't comment. <laughs> That's good, Troy. Okay, back to this. But, yes, so in uh, Spanish at least, it's, it's gender is mm. the, the male and female gendered versions mm. and latino is seen as a male yeah. gender so if they were uh, if you're a politician well if you were a a public servant and you're writing something and you were um saying we want to help our latino community mm. it was felt as though it was a genderized mm. reference to is that, that why community. they changed yes. to x so mm. they changed it to latinx what? as a means of taking gender out of the reference. So, isn't that a bit presumptuous of an English language speaking person to impose that on people of a different language? Indeed. So, um, it's cultural appropriation, I'd say. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, English speakers bastardizing a somebody language. else's language. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway, I've got an article here from a a Spanish-speaking person who says um, the intentions behind Latinx may be benign, but as the son of immigrants who grew up in a community with English-only ordinances, I'm among the many Americans who consider it an absurd anglicization of a language that generations struggle to conserve. Mm. Progressives argue that Latinx fixes the gendered nature of <laughs> Spanish which they maintain is unfair to women and excludes individuals who do not identify as male or female. Mm -hmm. It is true that nouns are gendered in Spanish, but it is unclear what, if any, problem this poses to Americans. Substitutes like Latin and Hispanic can adequately describe the population that is Latino, and those words are non-binary. Um, Taken to its logical conclusion, a push for gender-neutral Spanish nouns requires dismantling a language spoken by... 572 million people across the world. Oh, they'll get used to it, right? Mm. Well, not only is Latinx laughably incomprehensible to any Spanish speaker without some fluency in English, um, its use has been formally rejected by the Real Academia Española, the official body of linguists that preserves the language integrity. Who knew it was progressive to abrogate foreign grammar standards? So I think that's interesting and... Um, Having said that, I mean, English is a bastard language that has stolen words from other languages and, and 
mutilated them. Yes. So it's it's not exactly the first case that this has happened. Yes, but it takes a word and uses it in the English language mm. and it, it doesn't tell it. the language that it came from that it now must... Well, that's, that's right. true. Yeah. <laughs> so And it goes both ways, Joe. Yeah. Other languages oh, borrow absolutely. English words too, uh, absorbed them. Japanese is a good example. Mm. I've, I've often um, uh, proposed to Japanese people that I could probably travel around Japan uh, using only English words with Japanese pronunciation and I'm pretty confident a lot of Japanese people would understand what I was on about just mm. by giving it, you know, really a Japanese-sounding pronunciation. Right. And I've tried it with Japanese friends and they all crack up laughing and they say, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying, you know, because they've It's like so, pidgin English. Sort well, of, they've, mm. they've incorporated so many English words yes. into modern Japanese. Mm. There are so many. I mean, mm. literally hundreds, mm. but they just give a Japanese sound. To, they do change the meaning sometimes a little bit, though. Mm. For example, mansion. A mansion in English is a big grand house, right? Mm. Probably with land around it. Yep. In Japanese, a mansion is a nice apartment building. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, a reasonably yes. Um, yes. well Yes, because a freestanding building with grounds around it is just incomprehensible yeah. and, and uh, probably useless. You'd never get to use it. Yeah. Right. And so Japanese people with not yeah. much familiarity yes. with uh, English language culture, yeah. and I've, I've met them, you know, they'll arrive here and I'll say, you know, what sort of accommodation you're looking for? And if mm. they say um, a mansion perchance, then right. I know they're looking for an apartment. Yes. Not a big grand house, you know. Yes. yes. So, I mean, that's just one example, but there are many, many others. You mm. know, they, they say bus, you know, for a bus. Mm. It's bus. I know uh, French um, are very keen to maintain the French language. Yeah. And one of their problems so, has been... Some French. <laughs> some French? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, the formal academics, the main French of quite happily taken Le Weekend and Le Parc. Yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, the story I heard was that because so many inventions originate in America, for example, mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. that um, – and are then given an English name that people are kept busy in French creating a French version of English inventions, if you like, in order to give them – a French name and not adopt mm. the English name. So that's sort of one of the problems they had in terms of maintaining French as something different to English was mm. the explosion in just new words in English that they mm. then had to f create a French equivalent for. Mm. So, so there's a very highbrow society that are desperately trying to do that. Yes. And the average French person just ignores them and uses the English. Yeah. Right. There we yeah. go. Mm. Okay. The same doesn't happen in Japan, by the way. Right. Um, They're quite happy to just adopt. In fact, English. I look. I have um, I have some flatmates who are Japanese, and I have had for several years, as you're aware. Um, and when I'm trying to find a, a word that I don't know in Japanese, I often ask them. I say, you know, what's the Japanese word for this? And you know, as often as not, they'll come back with a word. That is borrowed directly from English. Right. And I, and I say to them, no, I don't want the Japanese English word. I want the original Japanese word. And they invariably have one. 
And they, they scratch their heads. Quite often they scratch their heads and they go, I don't know. Mm. I only know this one. And it's the one that's borrowed from English. Mm. It's incredible how common they are in Japanese. Mm. There we go. Japanese, English loan words, yeah. Mm. So there you go. Uh, we're running out of time. Um, so I just want to um, jump ahead to um, Harry and Megan. Yes. That was big news this week. Yes. So there was an interview with Oprah. and Did you watch it? No. I didn't either. No. Did you watch it, Shane? I didn't watch no. it either, no. But Joe I saw would have Clinton's. watched it for sure. No. And, <laughs> and I'm not really interested in the sort of content of what they had to say so much for me. But uh, my daughter alerted me to uh, this thing which I've since found in Buzzsprout, which was looking at the different treatment of uh, how... Kate has been treated by the English media compared to Megan. Same newspapers. And we've got a series of uh, things that will crop up on the screen, thanks to Tech Guy Joe. But the first one here is, so Daily Mail, and uh, referring to uh, William's wife, Kate, not long to go, pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby bump while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave. And William confirms she's due any minute now. All good. But when Megan came along and she also had a bump, same newspaper says, why can't Megan Markle keep her hands off her bump? Experts tackle a question that has got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, acting or a new age bonding technique? <laughs> you might say, oh, that's just one example. But this buzzsprout article has 20 examples where pretty much identical situations have been given completely different treatment. Um, Kate and Wills, Inc., Duke and Duchess, secretly set up companies to protect their brand, just like the Beckhams. <laughs> Meanwhile, when talking about the other guys, a right royal cash-in, how Prince Harry and Ma Meghan Markle trademarked over 100 items from hoodies to socks six months before split with monarchy with new empire worth $400 million. Pounds. Um, this one, in terms of preparing the abbey for the weddings, so in, in relation to Kate's wedding, it was reported that new Duchess of Cambridge requested her favourite scented candles and toiletries from luxury fragrance brand Joe Malone to be delivered to scent the abbey. Selection of candles, hand washes and lotions was requested, specifically in citrus spring scents, including orange mm. blossom, grapefruit and the ever-popular lime, basil and mandarin. These were for use inside the Abbey and for wedding guests using the Royal Bathroom and additional six VIP bathrooms. Sounds very nice. I wish I'd got mm. an invitation now. Mm. Same newspaper, different wedding. Kicking up a stink, dictatorial bride Megan wanted air fresheners for musty 15th century St George's <laughs> Chapel, but the palace said no. And finally, this last one. Uh, a lot of these are actually by the same journalist, I think. This one, same journalist, uh, Sarah Vine, reporting in the Daily Mail. How Kate went from drab to fab, from eyebrows to Pilates to a new style guru. Our experts reveal the Duchess of Cambridge's secrets to looking sizzling. Same journalist, same newspaper. My memo to Megan Markle following her Vogue editorial. We prefer, we Brits prefer true royalty to fashion royalty. I think these are good examples of just 
manipulation by the a little media. Bit catty, isn't it? it mm. Yes, I think they've taken sides and wanted to create something very positive for uh, Kate and William. Very negative. Sort of journalists uh, get this gig, though. You know, commenting on the royal family. Are they sort of pretty intellectual types? Do you think? Maybe. Some of the more important journalists for some of these papers. I mean, it's. Really? I, I would have thought it's a quite a significant part of a British paper. One wonders so, um, what they used to say about Mrs. Simpson. Right. Yeah. So is it because the other she's American who yes. married into the royal family? Yes. Is it because she's a foreigner rather mm. than quite possibly? Else? Mm. There, there was uh, a big um, stink about the fact that. Diana was looking at marrying an American and moving to America with the, the um, William and Harry. Well, she was also running around with an Egyptian. Yes. After she separated from Charles, wasn't she? Dirty Al Fayed. That's right. The one that was in the car with her when she died. Mm. Mm. So are the British just a little bit snobbish about their royalty c- consorting with foreigners? Do you I think? would say that that's highly possible. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's great for us, Republic now. Mm. Actually, um, think about it, King Charles the <laughs> Third. Just, just yeah. on, just on the Republic. The problem with the Republic has been: what sort of Republic do we have? Do we have a president who is elected by the people, or do we have a president who is elected by the Parliament? Is, is the difficulty that we've had. So, if you have a plebiscite or referendum or whatever, where you basically say, here are the choices, um, do nothing and stay where we are, a republic where the public elects the president, or option C, a republic where the uh, parliament elects the president, the pro-republican vote gets split between those two different scenarios and doesn't get above the sort of 50% line. So... Malcolm Turnbull was saying we have to do it in two parts. Basically, we need a referendum to decide which of those two Republican versions, election of a president by the people, election of a president by the parliament, and having then agreed on that one, then move to the second step of do we stay where we are or do we have this particular form? So I thought that was a clever way of approaching it, but you're looking at me funny. I'm, I'm thinking also... Do you have a purely titular president who mm. has no real power? I think that's a, a, what... We... As in the royal family, mm. or do you have a president who's deeply involved in politics? I think both Republican scenarios are for just a ceremonial president right. with no real power, but it's just... I mean, where the, do we the get equivalent this of the royal where yeah. they have it's the power a, to a, dissolve power, uh, parliament uh, if it's required and that's about it. Yeah, it's sort of the equivalent of a governor-general. Yes. But called a president with really no real power, supposedly. Other than cutting yeah. ribbons. Yes. And waving ex- at people. Exactly. So, um, anyway, I thought that was a good way of putting it. Um, mm. So... Um, uh, Anyway, that was that. I think we're about done. We don't want to go overboard. Um, 
We, Shane, we would never do that. Shay Shay bonded with Mrs. Fist a little while earlier over the length of these episodes, and now and <laughs> did you? And my wife made a confession that she listens some, listens sometimes at one and a half speed. If you're doing that, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast at she's, accelerated she's speed, just stop. It's insulting. Just stop <laughs> now and go away. Um, I was listening to a podcast in the car the other day, yeah. and I had. I think I had to get out of the car. So I, rather than unplug my earphones and have to put them all back in again, I just slipped my phone into my pocket, went out of the car, I think it was going to the toilet or something, came back, and I must have touched something on the screen that speeded it up because when I got back to my car, it was playing faster and I found it very difficult to focus on yeah. what the people were saying. You know? I thought, yeah. no, I don't like that. So I took it out and took it back to the normal speed. But, mm. yeah, it's... I don't know how she does it. Yeah. How does she concentrate well, she just, on? She's just got to get through it as quickly that, as she can. <laughs> all that important information that she gets from the podcast. She goes, yeah. well, I've heard all this from Trevor anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, James, if you're out there as well, I think I fixed up the episodes two, three and four that weren't playing before. For those of you who have gone all the way through the back catalogue and I think some of those very earliest episodes weren't playing, they should probably play now. So they're all there. Uh, all um, 290 previous episodes are there for your listening pleasure. Look, I will cut you some slack. If you're prepared to go through all 290 um, of the back catalogue, okay, you can have a 1.25 speed. Well, I'll allow you. <laughs> That's a concession, yeah. major concession from Trevor. Yeah. Next week I'll actually pull my finger out and list and refer to our patrons. Uh, thank you to the dear patrons out there. You are much appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it, then please um, go on the website, sign up as a patron, and you can donate some money, and that will go towards some of the expenses, which would be much appreciated. And otherwise, good on you in the chat room. Good on you, Karen, for your comments and everyone else in there. We'll be back next week, I think. Talk to you then. Good night. Bye, everyone. Good night, everyone. Now, a matter of great importance has been brought to my attention. I speak, of course, of the generous contributions made by the patrons of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. These fine men and women have sacrificed so much for their countrymen. Never before in the field of human conflict have so many Old so much to so few. To those of you who are not yet patrons, I say this. Give generously of yourself. Give until you can honestly say, I have nothing left to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. <clears throat> Let me see. What is the time? Ah, 10 a.m. Now, where is my whiskey and cigars? <laughs> Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and 
subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.